filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, Discrimination, Wage, and Litigation Solutions for Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They want you to know that your rights matter, you deserve to be free from harassment, and you deserve to work. They cover workplace discrimination and wage theft, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, takings and disability, and a lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United and Jumping Straight Into Things podcast. I hope you're happy, Ben. I am. The truth, the truth is that we didn't really have anything to talk about. We, we, we lead a boring existence. <laughs> and now existence we're talking we, about it. And we last recorded like five days ago. So not a lot has happened. Uh, I am Adam Taylor, joined as ever by Jason Anderson and Ben Bromley. We are all from blackandredunited.com where we talk about DC United tonight. We are talking about the scoreless draw in Cincinnati from Friday night. And we are going in the second segment to have uh, Ray Sullivan from six States, one pod on to preview the upcoming visit from the new England revolution. Watch that Tuesday night, August 25th, 7 PM. I believe I haven't seen it confirmed anywhere, but I believe it will be on WJLA 24 seven ESPN plus and streaming within the immediate DC region on dcunited.com. We'll find out if that's actually the case. Last week, I I went the other direction and did not see information confirmed. And so I said, this isn't going to be on TV anywhere. And that was wrong. And if you were depending on the information, uh, I'm sorry. And always fact check me. Always, always, always fact check me. Um, We we also put up an article with this on literally every game day. Um, It's true. It's always there every single time. So at any time you're thinking, what time is the game? What channel the game is? Go to the site and read the article. Yeah, don't it's listen there. to Adam. Go to the site. Jason works hard on those those he preview. He's and no, you should read. Don't them. send me tweets saying what time is the game because I will make you pay the tax of having to go to the article. I will not tell you. I will send you the article and you'll have to read it yourself. <laughs> Jason, what time's the game on Tuesday? You'll have to read it the article yourself. It'll be in the article. Well, I'm going to mention it a few times later in the show. Before I do, though. <laughs> Ben, what are you drinking? I am drinking uh, bourbon and coke. Your frustration? Yes, that too. I I, I am frustrated. I think most of it is I am frustrated about how badly DC United played in this game, and I'm taking it out on you two. So I am sorry about that. I apologize. Um, but yeah, I'm drinking bourbon and coke, and I'm drinking my anger and sadness because the game sucked, and we'll get into it in a bit. Jason? Uh, I just have uh, some Patron uh, and one giant ice cube. That's it. Uh, Patron Silver. Real, real simple. Nice. I've got a Gin Ricky um, Tanqueray, which is not my usual. I usually don't go for the London dry style of gin, but it is what I had. And I wanted a Ricky, so that's what I did. There you go. How did you Uh, run out of all your other gins? I have, you're like a gin meister. I well, yeah, I haven't stocked up in a while, and I've just been like depleting my stores. Um, the tank array is it's it's a giant bottle. It is a handle. Oh yeah, 
of Tanqueray, and it is used so rarely, there is a thick, thick oh. layer of dust on it. <laughs> on the bottle. Does that mean that closed. Jason it's and not I need to come gin. over to your house and drink your gin? No, there's a pandemic on, Ben. You don't need to do that. I mean, I mean you we broke... can stand in your yard. I mean, Jason broke into my house and drank my bourbon, so... There's enough space in the yard where we could stand on opposite sides of it. Do you guys know how small my yard is? Yes, you do. I'm, you I'm, do. I'm, I'm saying it would be close. We've both been to your house. Feet. Yeah, I mean, it, maybe if one of us stood in the doorway. And the yeah, other yeah. Side. I mean, also, it might be corners. We could get a good yeah. six feet between us. Adam, if you're asleep, we can probably just sneak in there and drink your gin while you're asleep. We won't be within six feet of your family. I mean, I've got some pretty aggressive neighbors when it comes to um, security and enforcement, so I would not recommend doing that, then. Legal advice. Ah, I'm sneaky. <laughs> Let's talk about soccer. Do we have to? We we do. I, do I we? actually don't think this game was nearly as bad as Ben thinks. I, I don't so, either, but okay. I'm going to start off with the... Uh, I'm going to introduce this in a, a style I think Ben will appreciate. Did, D- did DC United get the win? No. But wasn't an exciting game? No. Also, not really. No. Uh, DC United went into Cincinnati and brought home a scoreless draw. Both sides hit the woodwork in a game that had very, very few other chances. Um, I was going to open up with uh, some, some tactical talk, but, but Ben has some feelings that I think he needs to lay out there for the group. So, Ben, I'm inviting you to share. Okay. I mean, the first 30, 35-ish minutes, I mean, yes, they they played fairly decently. I, I Yes, yes. But my main feelings are that the finishing just wasn't there at all. Uh, Julian Gressel's crosses were not great. Uh, he took he took all of the uh, free kicks uh, in the first half, uh, and they were not good. Um, they weren't able to convert anything into uh, really electric scoring opportunities, and so it just felt like they were not not there, and uh, it just made me frustrated. Is that because you expected more? No, it's because I, I mean, it's because I your, wanted Your reaction more. tells me that you expected more. Like this was, this came as something of a surprise, it sounds like, to, to get, to elicit this kind of reaction. I mean, no, it's because I wanted more, but it's, I did not expect more because this is what, this is fairly similar to what they did in Florida. And with the level, with the level of players they've signed, I, I've, I feel like they need to be doing better. They, the way that this team has been going for the past couple of years, I think they they've needed to progress further than this. So, I as far as the final third goes, I agree with you a hundred percent. In the final third, this team had no ideas, no creativity, no execution. Um, but I think the rest of the field, especially in that first part of the game, was miles different than what we saw at MLS's back. Um, This team knew how it wanted to build in a way that, that I don't think we'd seen before. It didn't know what to do with the ball once it did build into the final third, but it pressed way more effectively than it did 
even in those 15 minute spans when they were pressing in Orlando. Um, and, and, you know, they, there were a couple of chances we saw, uh, Ola Kamara lay down a header for Segura. That was a remarkably good shot. Uh, probably the best chance aside from, uh, Locadia's, uh, post shot, uh, that, that he chipped over Hamid or not really chipped, but, but managed to, to get past him, but not the post. There weren't enough of those though. I agree with you completely. Um, Jason, any general thoughts before we get into the tactics? I mean, I was glad to see a choice being made to go press a team. Um, that you know the, the the amount of turnovers they forced that wasn't a happy accident that was them saying this is a team that's going to be vulnerable to this let's go make it happen um so i liked seeing that um i liked that yamila Saad got to play that central role um you know we had back at mls's back there was the game where felipe played their different formation um and also even after the game you know, pretty much said that, you know, who, who else can be a number 10 on the team right now? Um, and I was glad to see him willing to turn to somebody else. The job was different, but the position was still the 10 and Assad got to play there because Flores is only about 30 minutes, maybe hopefully 45, maybe on Tuesday. But, um, so I was glad to see that. Um, I was glad to see the aggressiveness in the selection of players. You know, you, you have Kevin Paredes playing as a wingback. That's, that's an aggressive choice. Um, rather than playing Mora there, that's playing an attacking player in a defensive position rather than playing a defender a little further up the field. Um, so there were, you know, a few things that I actually thought quite highly of. The, the high press was very good. Um, it's just that this team needs to get better in the attacking third as far as um, being a little more decisive, a little more urgent in their off the ball running. Um, yes, especially it, off the ball. It's that first, it's that first step is the thing. And this is why, um, to bring it back to praise, this is something that I think is going to keep him, especially if DC is otherwise not able to solve this, getting Paredes into the lineup. Um, you have someone that is always looking to not just go on a run, but to the first three or four steps he's got are him trying to get up to full speed as fast as possible. There's always urgency. He's always playing uh, as if time is of the essence and that makes it harder for him, for him to be defended. Um, And I would actually like to see some of the other guys in the lineup take after him rather than him having to take after them um, because the urgency is what's missing. It's not that guys are making bad runs it's that the runs are taking too long to develop and it's just too easy for defenders to get in a position to shut them down and that's what happened in this game even when they forced the the turnovers even when they pressed high forced a turnover in the defensive third what happens after that has to be just as fast as the high press um if not faster you you want to play if you're going to play that style you have to play fast all the time um and if you high press someone and turn them over 30 yards from goal and then you look up and no one's really moving and you have to take a touch and still no one's moving and you're okay. Let me pass to the wing back. Um, this all takes so long that eventually the turnover, it's like, well, we want a turnover, but that's all we accomplish. Um, and so that's why it's, it's a mixed bag rather than a bad performance in my mind, because for much of the field, it was pretty good, but that last third was really not very good in, in the, in a way that is getting really, really old. You know, the, 
MLS's back was like this too, that different formation, yeah. but the same attacking problem, just the, the stagnant runs uh, that are hard to explain because it's not like players are being told, no, 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 play very, very slow. Um, that's not the They're idea. Still reactive they, in the attack. Yeah, They're it, not making things happen. We saw, and that was the word I used it, it, about the performance in Orlando was reactive. And mm-hmm. I think we saw them improve on that uh, in defense and in the middle third um, where, where they were decisive. They were not purely reactive. And that's why Junior Moreno had his best game of the year. Uh, in that that number six spot because he was decisive he was reading the game and making a choice instead of waiting and waiting and and reading the game too slowly um and the defense made a choice donovan pines in his first start of the year was back there playing really well in defense um but once they got into the final third nobody was everyone was waiting for someone else to do something so they could play off of that it seemed like and the most frustrating version of this that i can recall in the game was when Edison Flores actually got the ball inside the box and he had time and space to pick out a run and Assad kind of faked to do a run and then didn't make one. And Segura was just kind of floating around being Ulysses Segura and no one else was anywhere near the box. And Flores eventually just tried to make, tried to force a pass into a static target and that's easy to defend. Just watching that yelling at the TV, somebody run. (laughs) Yes, it was just everyone was still reactive in that final in in those moments in front of goal. Yeah, I mean, that's ultimately that's what they've at at the expense of everything else. Quite frankly, they need to work on that Um, because this was a game that was there for the taking. This is also a reason why, you know, Ben is right to be frustrated. Um, It is it was an immensely frustrating game um, in part because they did some stuff well. Um, this wasn't yeah. a game where like, well, everything was bad and I feel bad. Um, some of the game was pretty good. Uh, it's just that you have to do something to create some chances that aren't set piece chances, which um, with Gressel, it was a weird game because the turf, I, I you know, speaking to players post game and then also today, you know, they had a um, Zoom press conference today as well. Uh, the surface came up. The guys were not, they did not enjoy playing on the turf at Nippert Stadium, which if you look at it, it looks a lot like the turf at Gillette Stadium, which is to say bad. Bad. Um, but but early in the game was when Gressel's service was good. It got worse as the game wore on, which is usually not the way it goes. Usually if you're on a surface you don't like, it's the first couple, and then you you start to find a little bit more of a range to it. Um, and this was the opposite. Um, it's a shame that DC didn't, come through with something in that period of time um you know that if that pines header is a uh, is in i think the game plays out a lot differently but um you know that's that was about it for as much as they controlled that stretch of play they didn't have a lot to show for it and it's because the attack is still it's not that they lacked enough attacking players it wasn't a conservative lineup selected the tactics weren't conservative it's it was just execution and I, I think some of my frustration as well is if there are MLS Cup playoffs later this year, I mean, who knows if those will, if that will actually happen. But if DC United is going to make the playoffs, they've got to be able to beat Cincinnati. Like, like Cincinnati is better than them right now. Cincinnati made it to the knockout rounds of the MLS's back uh, uh, tournament. Uh they're two points ahead in the standings too. Right. Like one so, point. 
Oh, one point ahead. They yeah. were two positions ahead, but one point ahead. Yeah. But if if DC United is going to make the playoffs, if the if the MLS Cup playoffs happen, these are the kinds of games they have to win. Cincinnati didn't play it great. They they were not going to score against DC United. They were not out there playing DC United off of the park. But these are the kind of games they have to win. And the fact that they didn't, the fact that they, uh, it's not like they were super threatening either. It was. Uh, you all are more charitable to them than I am. And you might, you're probably right. Uh, but even if they were good in the, in the middle third, they, they like their attack wasn't there. And they, they just, it's not like they had 14 chances and just couldn't put it in. It, they were not able to get a, uh, get scoring opportunities to happen. And if they can't do that against Cincinnati, this isn't a team that's going to make the playoffs. Well, I think this it, is what's, what's wild is we should note that these were two playoff teams right now uh, with yep. the expanded playoff setting. These teams are both in playoff position, uh, wow. believe it or not, which is why I'm a little bit. Well, number one, I don't I don't care about making the playoffs right now, because if this is a team that's going to go in the playoffs and look like they did in Orlando, I don't care if they make the playoffs. That's just going to be more pain, more frustration. Uh, and the the field being expanded to 10 teams in the East, this team could potentially make the playoffs playing like they did in Orlando. Uh, we talked on previous episodes what we want to see instead of that. I think this was a step in that direction where we see the team trying something new, not just sitting in a deep block, maybe pressing for 15 minutes at the start of one or both halves, and then just sitting deep and trying to counter, but being so tired and so deep that they can't even counter effectively. This was something else. This was a better platform, I think, for an attack. The attack wasn't there in this game, and it's going to need to be. But I don't care about beating Cincinnati right now. I would have loved to, absolutely. But if if we had just scrapped out a goal and then played like we did against Toronto or against New England in Orlando, I wouldn't be happy with that win because it wouldn't be going anywhere. I'm frustrated with this result but the process inherent in this game is at least a step forward in my mind and i want to see more from the attack i really really do if we don't see more in the attack in the next game or two i'm gonna be with you ben absolutely but right now the the defense was better the press like both in a block and in the press was better the possession was better we saw some ideas from kevin paredes which was great um, and, and I think that there's, there's a place that there's room to grow here, which I don't know that there was room to grow with the way they were playing in Orlando. That was a dead end and we've broken away from that. And hopefully it means that we're on the path to something better, whether that means we're going to make noise in the playoffs this year. I don't know, but I feel better about just that the fact that we've taken a step in a direction and we're not standing pat that is uh the low low bar that that we have managed to clear yeah um i think having having a specific plan to press teams is what i think we've been talking about for this entire year going back to even going back before yeah um where it was like i wish this team would high press they've got some guys that can do it uh, they've now got more guys that can do it. The team got more athletic um, and more 
willing to do the defensive work. Um, not to take away from Lucho, but that's not really what he was uh, on the field for. Um, when you put the guys that were out there in this game on the field, you have a group that's willing to do that high press work to set up the attack um, or more willing than they were last year. Um, so I like that element of it. Um, I I know from the post game uh, press conference that it was certainly to some degree situational. This wasn't a, we're going to high press whoever it is. And it happens to be Cincinnati. This was, we know what Cincinnati wants to do and we think they're going to be vulnerable to how we want to press them. And they were, um, you know, we should give some credit there. Uh, DC's tactics to start the game were, they had a much better handle on what to do with Cincinnati than Cincinnati had to do with DC. Um, The part of that was that DC was playing differently and Cincinnati was not Cincinnati did exactly what they did in the non blowout losses that they had in Orlando, which was sit deep, uh, five, three, two play in behind. And it was just sort of one man raids chasing after through balls, hoping for the best. Um, DC had a plan for that. They knew that's why they shifted to the back three um, to have uh, a three V two there rather than two V two with fullbacks getting caught forward. Um, And they knew the building patterns for Cincinnati. They understand where the ball was going to go um, when it would slow down, who to press, where to press them from all that stuff. Um, that was set up really well. Uh, and it's something that we haven't seen this year, uh, was seeing DC effectively start a game. It's been a recurring theme where they've been not very good to start games or as Adam talked about, there's the, the longstanding, well, we'll press for 15 minutes, even on the road. But then after those 15 minutes and it's, it's back to, to dropping off again. And I think I, I tweeted from the site account, like, well, we're at 15 minutes. DC has been high pressing they really should not <laughs> sag off after this. And good news, they didn't. Uh, they kept trying to press uh, Cincinnati. Um, it's just that... Cincinnati what, did adjust. They did. Uh, they made some some interesting adjustments, uh, mostly to try and overload central midfield. They had um, wingbacks popping up in those spaces. Uh, they also sometimes pushed their wingbacks up really high and dropped a forward in. But they kept getting that extra man and and making that extra man count because if you're going to play three five two the way DC did, uh, a lot of times it's more three four one two, and so you've got two central midfielders who have a lot of space to cover, and if you overwhelm them, you can play through them, and that's what Cincinnati did to adjust to DC. But um, I think in terms of getting the ball rolling towards something that would be better, this was the ball started to roll a little bit. Um, we just have to also incorporate that as much as that is a positive, the attack has to come with it. Um, the attack can't stay in first gear or else they're just never going to score any goals. Um, and that's kind of, that's where things are at right now. Um, Kamara getting 60 minutes was a big deal on that front. I think that will change things. Um, Flores being able to play more will hopefully change things. I kind of like this idea of possibly playing him as a forward um with Kamara rather than him playing underneath um so th- there are there were positives here as much as the game was very frustrating um and and boring you know quite frankly it was a boring game um yes. if if you're not looking deep into the the tactical side of this it's just like a game where nothing happened um but this wasn't like an MLS in August 
you know, slugfest where it's just like, this is just bad. Everyone's exhausted. No one's doing anything good. Both teams did some good stuff. It's just that it was the stuff that is not fun is what they were doing uh, very well. And the stuff that is fun, they weren't doing very well. <laughs> um, ben Olsen hinted that the, or, or set out right, that this is going to be in the the bag for, uh, it's going to be a club he can pull out from time to time, the, the three-back system. But along with that kind of, uh, framing, it's not going to be the club he wants to use every week. At least that's what he says at, at this point. Right. So what do we want to see against New England on Tuesday and going forward? Because this was a step, and I'm not sure the going back to a four-two-three-one will... It, I, I'm not sure what will happen, if it'll be a return to the stagnant low block or, or uh, we'll continue to build on the what we saw in the process in Cincinnati. I, I mean, I said it last week as kind of a joke, but now I'm now after seeing this week, I'm, I'm more into it. I think having a two forward setup is uh, what DC United might need to do right now. The second forward might not to be Ulysses Segura just because <laughs> I mean, I'm with you. I'm with you. He, you know he got I am. Put there be, he got put there because they needed to put him there. It, it, they didn't have somebody to go from the start. What, and what should they that, do? Is there is there something they could have done to avoid I mean, playing Uli Segura si- as a second more, forward? Signed more forwards three uh, six months ago, like yeah, we that, said that, on this podcast. They could have done it. Yeah. Time. That, it's an exotic um, idea. I have trouble <laughs> wrapping my head around. Right. You're allowed to sign more forwards. It's it's right. I mean, Bizarre. given given this team, the way they've set up this team, I think that that was – there's not much else they could have done for this specific game given the team that they had signed. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what they do going forward because they're dealing with uh, players with different levels of fitness. They're dealing with uh, – a ton of games in a very short amount of time. So they're not going to be able to have all of their uh, best players all out there at the same time. They're not going to ha- be able to have Ola Kamara and, uh, and Edison Flores up there as the front two forwards all the time, just because neither of them are a hundred percent healthy. And even if they were, both of them can't just play all the, what, like, Six games in uh, what, like uh, six games in four weeks, something like Three that. Weeks. It's yeah, it's a ton of games, and they're just gonna have to do a lot of rotating. Uh, but part, a, a lot of it goes back to the way this roster was constructed back in January, and they're trying to figure out how to deal with it going forward. But I think two forwards, the way that this. To get more offense on the field, I think two forwards is the uh, best strategy going forward. And given now that they have a decent amount of of center backs, I, I, I also I think a three back with two forwards is also a good way to try and get more more attacking players on the field. See, I, I think. think go ahead, Jim. I, I think with the way the roster is built, where you have Ola Kamara and Eric Sorga and zero other forwards natural forwards, but you have Edison Flores, Yamil Asad, um, and Higuain. yeah, Pipa Iguain, Thank you. 
um, and Paul Ariola when he gets back, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, this team is he- much heavier on attacking midfielders than they are on forwards, and all the attacking midfielders are versatile. They can play across that front line. I think just inverting the those two lines at the front instead of a 3-4-1-2, you play a 3-4-2-1 because they're pressing in a 3-4-3 regardless. So putting those attacking midfielders in those kind of hybrid central slash winger free roll underneath the forward, I think could unlock some stuff. And also when it means when you're pressing Ola Kamara or whoever's in the number nine spot is much closer to goal than he was in this game where he was pressing the, the outside center back, um, which meant when the ball turned over, he had to get back into that central channel for, to be available. And it was Yamil Assad who was, most central when the ball turned over so there are a couple of tweaks i would want to see but i i think i agree i like this three back i want to see them continue building on it at least for one more game well what i and and this is kind of giving away something it's in a piece that we'll have out um actually probably before the post that comes with this podcast comes out most likely um but uh, it'll be on the site so if you're listening to this go look at the site that you'll you'll be able to figure out which article it is because it will say uh three five two in it Um, but part of the reason that I think, and I don't know this, but I, I'm just, you know, trying to read the tea leaves a little, um, DC went into this game, missing Fisher, missing Oroyatsum. Um, they really have any right backs and the one other option, Russell Knauss had to play midfield because Felipe was suspended. Um, the options at that point become, do you start Muhammad Abu and move Canals to right back. Do you play Gressel at right back uh, to stick with the four, two, three, one, or do you change formations? Um, I think Cincinnati with two, two up front, the way they've been playing uh, specifically the fact that they play deep and play with two forwards. I think this, that dictated the choice. Um, but I don't think it was made without those absences in mind. I think that was also part of the consideration um, against the revs. It's a weird situation because the revs, you know, Gustavo Bo defensively, they play four, two, three, one, but he's got a lot of freedom. And some of the time his desire to just be a forward comes out of him and he kind of steps up as a second forward. Um, so, you know, do you call that a team playing two forwards and then say, okay, well, the, the back three applies better against two forwards. Let's do that again. Um, or do you say they only play one forward and then you say, well, having three at the back against one forward is kind of a waste. Um, that's a tricky question. It's also tricky because Felipe is now not suspended. Um, so right. you do have not that not that anyone on this podcast particularly enjoys Canals having to play right back. You do have that as an option if you want to change the formation back. Um, so it's it's it. possible. Um, I think we're going to see this toggle back and forth quite a bit. I think we're going to be in between the two formations. Um, but I also wonder, you know this was the first game where United since, since the Miami win where United came off the field and said, you know, that there were some positives there. It wasn't the, the, the positive against Toronto was, you know, once in a lifetime kind of thing. This was positives that you can build on. It wasn't, you know, we came back with miracle goals down to nothing and down a man. This was, we did a bunch of stuff structurally that was good. Um, and so I wonder if part of it is just like, we have something we can build on right now. Let's build on it for a couple games. I would also point out that in this upcoming run of games, you have the union play two forwards. 
the New York Red Bulls play two forwards. That's three of the next five games, twice against the Red Bulls, once against the Union. Um, so we're going to see it. I think we're going to see it in those three games. Um, in part because it, it also helps that Donovan Pines played really well. Um, yeah, he did. Julian, He's very Julian fast. Gressel, right, and, and he, that makes him essential. If you're going to play three in the yeah. back, um, you have to have someone that's faster than Burnbaum. Uh, yes. And he can't be your fastest defender in a back three. And Pines is the guy that changes that. Um, yeah. Julian Gressel had a frustrating game, but he got into some good spots. Um, yeah. So I think this this helps him. It simplifies the game for him a little bit. I think he can be more involved Um, with the number of guys we have available to play in forward roles. um, Maybe we see a rotation where it's maybe a sod one game and, and people the next Um, maybe it's Flores and Segura or, or uh, Sorga kind of rotating in because, you know, they're not going to, we're not going to see Kamara go 90 probably in the next four games. I would imagine he's going to get subbed off because they want they want to make sure long term that he is able to keep starting games. Um the fact that he got through this game without any problems and even looked a little upset to be coming off um is probably a good sign because it's the first time he's played long enough uh not had a thing cause him to come. It's not well something's wrong with me. I have to come out. This was I would rather not. Um but you know the team is preserving him for Tuesday. Um so we've got some positives to build on that I would like to see it deployed again, but I also think we need to be cognizant that we shouldn't devote all of our e- emotional investment to a formation. It's about yeah. playing soccer well. And I don't care if DC plays 4-2-3-1 against the New England and wins 3-0 and plays well, great, awesome. Um, if they play this exact same formation and they go out and win 3 nothing, also great and awesome. Um and I think they that's play the main a WM thing. and uh, win. I've been on a two-three-five. Uh, if you're only if you're going to hold out for a two-three-five and also success, um, then you're probably not going to get anything you want because <laughs> I don't think we're going to see Ben Olsen play a two-three-five. And if he did, I don't think it would work. Um, I do not. Think, uh, well, we've you seen dribble it, guys. Now you don't have to pass, right? <laughs> That's how soccer uh, works. Sometimes you do have to pass, it turns out. Um, yeah. What are we, Scottish? I, I will throw in one other thing with this with this formation, just a quick thing. Um, if you're interested in why it looked the way it did, go look at the passing maps um, from the game on the league website. Go look at the chalkboard. You can see this heavy overload uh, that DC created to the right. Um, they wanted Julian Gressel on the ball a lot. They, Yamil Assad was going over there to help combine. Ulysses Segura, if you look at his action chart, this is in my my article I teased already. He, it's almost like he was playing as a right winger in terms of where he received the ball, even though when you think of the game, he was definitely playing as a right center forward. Where he was actually getting his touches was out wide, helping Gressel with this overload. Um, I think it was a conscious decision to say, let's get Gressel into a system that he's thrived in and let's get guys around him so that he's not having to do it on his own. He's got options so that, the, you know, the team can't say, Oh, well, they're going to keep feeding Gressel. Let's double him every time he gets the ball. If you've got Assad and Segura getting over there, you can't because there's too many guys. Um, and I think we're going to, anytime we see this formation in particular, we're going to see that um, because 
I thought Paredes did well enough in left wing back, especially considering his lack of experience playing yeah. that role. Shout out to him, by the way. First professional start. Yeah. Or at least first um, start for DC United. Which, and, yeah, and Loudon hasn't yeah. played this year. So first professional start for, for Kevin. You know, he, he had starts last year with Loudon. He wasn't a pro he last year, was he? 2019 was a thing. It happened. That was eight years ago. He was nine. <laughs> um, but, but no, he did pretty well there. But there's a reason they went with the overload, and it's because on the left, they don't really have someone that's going to create what Gressel can create, whether it's Paredes or Mora um, playing in a left wingback role. They aren't going to create a huge ton of uh, number of chances. Paredes might become that guy down the road or if he's further up the field. Um, but they they went pretty hard after trying to create on the right side, trying to get Gressel on the ball. The execution was off, especially, you know, Gressel was very, you know, you saw after the game, there was that, um, they had that one really good buildup in the second half where they caught them on the counter. They moved the ball wide. They brought it back in. Gressel gets into a good shooting position and he put it about 15 yards over the goal. Um, And that kind of summed up his night where even when it did go well, it didn't go well. Um, But we know, I mean, it's not like we haven't seen him play well before. Um, you know, if, if you talk to anyone that covers Atlanta United, they are all about Julian Gressel for good reason. And it was a lot of it is because of him playing as a wingback in a front foot kind of system. So um, that's something to build on as well. And I think we're going to if if we see the back three, we're going to see that right right side emphasis um, every single time, regardless of whether it's uh, three, four, one, two or three, five, two or three, two, four. Or, yeah, any any of the combinations Always going to see a heavy five. right side. Um, if we play two three five, then I assume Gressel will be the right forward, um, as opposed to the right inside forward. Um, right. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, if 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 you're listening and you want to send us your best two three five, um, we would appreciate it. It won't. You'll never see it in real life, but definitely send us to a, send it to us, and we'll have some fun with it. You guys cannot see the giant smile on my face and me pumping my fist, but know that that is definitely <laughs> happening right now. Um, I would normally end it on that high note in this segment there, but I have another high note that we can end on. Uh, he won't be in uniform against New England, but he's doing work. Paul Ariola is recovering from his torn ACL, and he is lifting weights heavier than you. Right now, it looks like based on the video the team released on Twitter, um, he is he's running, he's cutting. He looks like he's getting way closer than we thought he would be uh, at this point in August. So um, kudos to Paul on the hard work and uh, keep it up. And we can't wait to see him on the field. Um, That'll be a a fun day. I can't wait. Um, That's a really weird feeling in 2020 to be actually legitimately about something something. yeah hopeful (laughs) and excited and not just like dreading and accepting that it's coming but actually excited for something to come in the future that's i haven't felt that in a while so so thank you paul Ariola, for giving me that feeling we will be right back to preview dc united's visit from the new england revolution please stick around it's filibuster Right. Say you're at work and uh, something unfortunate or untoward happens and you need some legal representation to uh, to assert your rights. 
in that situation, whether a boss mistreated you, you were fired unfairly, uh, or, or, or something worse happens. Ben, in the District of Columbia and Northern Virginia, you know who to call, right? Yeah, you call the Ehrlich Law Office because you have rights. That's right. And your rights matter. And you deserve to be free from harassment. And you deserve to work. The Ehrlich Law Office handles workplace discrimination. They do civil rights. Uh, If you have a wage theft issue, they are there for you. If you have a separation from your employer that you want to to get down on paper, and you're dealing with a a non-compete clause or or something to to that effect if you uh if you feel like your civil rights have been violated by a local government call the ehrlich law office uh if you want a free consultation tell them we sent you go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. DC United will host their first game at Audi Field since early March this Tuesday night against Bruce Arena and his New England Revolution. Of course, no fans will be in attendance, so you will have to watch it on TV or online. Do that at WJLA News 24-7, News Channel 8 if you're nasty, DCUnited.com or ESPN+. Alex Almeida is one of the hosts of Six States, One Pod up there in New England, and he's been nice enough to agree to join us on this circus tonight. Alex, welcome to Filibuster. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Thank you very much for having us. And uh, it's always great to support other MLS podcasts and talk to other fans around the league. How are you guys doing? Uh, you know, we're, we're hanging in there. We uh, had a nice, uh, had it out, I think, among ourselves in the last segment about where you it was stand bad. And where DC United stands. Didn't like it <laughs> right now. Um, so, so it's good to have an outside voice to focus on uh, at this point. Alex, what are you drinking tonight? So uh, I have to uh, put in a plug in here for an awesome brewery here in Massachusetts uh, called Treehouse Brewing Company. Um, they are in Charlton, Mass. Uh, very easy to get to if you're in the. Um, uh, you know, going up the I-95 corridor um, into Massachusetts. But if you're ever in Mass, check them out. Treehouse Brewing Company. I'm drinking a Super Radiant, uh, which is a uh, fruited double IPA. So it's actually um, brewed with some uh, peach nectar uh, and fresh peaches as well. But they actually grow on their own farm, by the way. Um, so it's awesome. It's good stuff. That sounds good. Right. Uh, is... The I-95 corridor in Massachusetts as bad as it is in uh, the DMV? Um, probably not. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's awful here. I would never want to drive on any part of I-95. Yeah. I- so I-, I will say that the I-95 corridor here um, is a little bit uh, less of a problem. Obviously, rush hours, just stay off it. Um, but, uh, for us in Massachusetts and and the Northern New England States, we always complain about going down the I-95 corridor through Connecticut and New York city where, yeah, it's definitely a different world there. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, just don't Connecticut. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I don't know much about it, but I mean, it's Connecticut. It just doesn't seem, yeah, just don't. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a train guy. I prefer the uh, I, I prefer Amtrak. Yeah, yeah and I mean, yeah. I, 
And and our listeners will know that we hate Woodbridge, which is only notable because it's on I ninety five here in sure, Virginia. Sure. Yeah. Don't Woodbridge. It is in a constant state of traffic jam. Uh, Alex, when DC United and New England met at MLS's back in Orlando, it was not a super eventful game, but um, it seemed like New England's attack kind of fell off when Carlos Heel dropped off, uh, came out as a sub. He's now out for the season, uh, recovering from injury. How are the Revs adjusting to his absence? Very, very good question. Uh, we talked a little bit about this on the last show that we recorded. Um, clearly with, with Heel, of course, out with that foot injury, had surgery, out for an extended period of time. Um, and what the Revs clearly did after the MLS's back tournament, um, they actually went out and got some key uh, trades and acquisitions um, in the form of Kakutamane and Steve McNamara, um, really kind of shoring up the the depth at the midfield and options there. Um, And really what we saw is that, you know, we saw a huge amount of chances being created by heel. Um, I think he broke an MLS record in that game um, specifically about, you know, how many chances in one single game. Um, But it's clearly a a hole, right? Where when you don't have Carlos heel creating those chances in the midfield, the team has to be creative and, and finding other ways to fill that hole. Obviously, you can't go out and find another uh, Carlos Heel on short notice. So that's where I think Bruce Arena is really working to, um, you know, bring in uh, folks like Kakuta Mane, like Tony McNamara. That'll give him that extra dynamic to be able to shape the midfield uh, in different ways that he'll be able to kind of, generate that midfield uh, chance generation that was uh, left uh, as Carlos Heel now is uh, injured and can't play. Uh, Alex, you, you know, we're bringing up Carlos Heel. Obviously he's half of New England's big, biggest investments. Um, Gustavo Bo being the other half of that, um, what do you think of him in this role now where it seems like he's been moved into heel spot, but he doesn't really play it the same way? Yeah, in fact, it's interesting that you mentioned Gustavo Bo because when you look at kind of chances created, I think uh, Gustavo Bo is really in that, in that second spot, um, you know, in terms of MLS leaders. Um, and, and, and so far this year, Gustavo Bo has also created a lot of chances um, also, if you look at amount of goals scored uh, from an MLS perspective, he's currently in sixth with, with 10 goals scored since July of 2019 um, and tied for fourth uh, of goals from run of play since uh, July of 2019. So he's clearly uh, essential for this team on the attacking side. I think one of the things that we're watching is that Bruce Arena has attempted to use Gustavo Bo in a couple of different uh, places. And I think one of the places that we saw uh, against Philadelphia in this most recent game is kind of that center attacking midfielder, um, kind of behind that that front uh, forward position, which, of course, uh, Buxa is at. Um, and and that's really where we're seeing a little bit of experimentation, I guess, from from Arena. And he's trying out. You know, sometimes Gustavo takes more of that wing side. 
Sometimes he's more of that center uh, advanced mid. When he has a chance to play with somebody that can create chances like Heal, um, that obviously helps him out. Uh, but, yes, he is clearly uh, another big uh, chance creator uh, of this team. And I think that's where you're going to see Bruce kind of introduce people like Kakuta Mane um, that are going to be able to be up top and help uh, with Bo and, and creating a lot of those chances that, that Heal was uh, providing for, for Bo in the attack. So sp staying with the attack, the, uh, Teal Bunbury has been a controversial figure in American soccer, Canadian soccer, club soccer. Um, it, it seems like they have not been uh, clicking very well right now, but what do you see Teal Bunbury being able to do going forward? You know, that's a very good question. I think uh, Teal Bunbury brings, um, you know, uh, let's put this into perspective. When you look at our roster, there are uh, there is a good balance of MLS veterans like a Teal Bunbury. And then you have a lot of young talent um, that has also come up through the academy ranks um, that you may not see a lot of playing time on the field from them in terms of, of first team minutes. Um, but they are very essential to, um, you know, the Revs roster. For for example, you know, folks like Justin Renex, um, you know, uh, younger players like that, and Nicholas Firmino um, that is in our academy system uh, as well, right, uh, and playing for the Revs too. Um, the one thing that I think Teal will bring is a lot of that leadership, that team building, um, but then – he also brings that attacking um, prowess, I think, that we want from a position that like Teal, like a player like Teal, to have him contribute to an attack. But I think it's going to be more off of the bench with Teal. Um, I don't think we've seen him um, pretty much be leveraged with Bruce as a starter mostly. Um, but Teal has definitely been a great option off of the bench to to come in and, and either reinvigorate the attack if the game has started slow or go ahead and, and keep uh, the attack alive um, if, if the Revs are leading on that front foot. And speaking of one more player who has a USMNT cap, uh, the Revs just made a big move, at least in MLS circles, to bring back Matt Polster uh, from Rangers, how does he fit into this team, and and does he really change things for uh, the Revs, or is he just a is he slotting into uh, Bruce Bruce Arena's system as kind of like a cog in the machine? Absolutely. So, so Matt Polster, I'm really glad you brought him up because he's again another. Uh, key component of a midfield that I think Bruce Arena is really trying to um, enforce and, and really make sure uh, that the Revs dominate that that midfield. So as everybody knows, Matt Polster uh, brought over from Rangers, like you just said, uh, specifically right before the MLS's back tournament to the point where, you know, he probably wasn't eligible based on quarantining and all of that uh, to start off there. But he did make um, a first-team starting appearance 
in the game against Philadelphia um, that we just played. And in that game, he created an incredible amount of pass completions um, and was a very, very good, um, you know, first time. Um, you know, he's only 27, um, you know, and after that stint with, with Rangers, I think he brings uh, a little bit more of that um, type of overseas uh, type of, uh, of experience to the team. Um, and guess what? On his first appearance against Philadelphia on that August 20th, he played the full 90 minutes right off of the bench. And that's something that, you know, off the, off the kickoff, right? And that's something that we don't really uh, see typically, uh, but the coaching staff uh, was so impressed with his performance and they saw that his, his fitness levels were checking out great that he was able to go the full 90. So that's a really positive sign uh, for Revs fans that we have somebody like that um, that can come in and really uh, provide some foundation in that midfield for the full 90. Uh, you know, sticking with um, spots that are kind of, you know, mentioning at Polster has come in and become a starter pretty quickly. Um, when I think of the Revs right now, I look at their their defense and I've seen, uh, you know, Michael Mancian and Antonio De La May have gotten some starts. Andrew Farrell was injured for a little while there. It seems like when he's available, he's one of the starting center backs. Um, do you think, you know, Henry Kessler, the rookie, uh, has gotten a few starts? Who do you think should be the starters there? Is it still something that needs to be a, a few more games need to be played before you can start making declarations? Yeah, I think um, I think there's still going to be a little bit there in that. I think you're going to see that that uh, that four formation um, on the back line where Kessler and Farrell kind of stay back in that that sort of center mid or center defense position but here's where our defense kind of uh changes from previous years is that now the revs have um of course bootner and by as uh great defense left um backs and right backs respectively um that can really participate not only heavily in the defense and secure um you know the revs back line but also play up into the attack. So I think, um, you know, we saw Kessler and Farrell by and Bootner at, at the start uh, in the game against Philly. Um, and I think that you'll see Bruce Arena stick to some form of that. Um, and then as sometimes we've seen um, kind of in that left mid defensive position, uh, a couple of other players going in for Kessler. Um, and Kessler's been one of those kind of, you know, centered you know you have guys like scott caldwell for example right um so yeah i think we'll see a similar thing to that yeah is scott caldwell scott caldwell is like 47 years old now right <laughs> what, he, he has he, to be on, he doesn't look 45 55 years old no he's just been around for so long <laughs> 70 years old <laughs> he he let's put it this way he he comes off as much mature much more mature uh, on the field than he is. I'll, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Alex, just, I, he, he's just been there forever. That's all. Yep. 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 Alex, let's go he off the field. Been, oh, never mind. Continue. No, no. Uh, what I was going to say with, with Scott Caldwell is he, he has been obviously a, a mainstay with the Revs 
from a defensive midfield position for a very long time. Obviously, his hometown is here in Massachusetts, so he's he's a local, uh, you know, homegrown talent uh, for us, and he's been great. Um, really, kind of just consistent. Um, I wouldn't say that he's really had. We're kind of waiting for his super uber breakout uh, year per se, but he's been that defensive. <laughs> yes. <laughs> He's been that defensive center mid that, you know, you want to have there as, as somebody who's not afraid to go toe-to-toe with the biggest uh, strikers in the league, right, um, and, and really get in there and, and push some guys around. And, and that's really where where I think fans have warmed up to seeing Scott Caldwell in that position and lineup overall. Going to take you off the field now. Uh, DC United fans know very well the pain of waiting for a, a stadium situation to resolve. New England, I think at this point, probably has the longest running stadium search in MLS. What's the latest on that? Where does it stand? Um, right now, um, really no no new update, unfortunately, uh, for us to kind of tell you guys about since the last time we chatted. Um, I think the fans are hopeful. Uh, the team continues to uh, search for um, areas in downtown Boston. They continue to stick with the fact that the um, stadium needs to be in an urban setting in uh, access of public transit primarily our subway here, uh, the T. Um, and there have been a couple of things here and there where we've we've heard about proposals. We've actually seen stadium drawings come out of some of these proposals, but ultimately uh, those proposals we've heard of as of right now uh, did not really go anywhere. They didn't materialize. Um, and I think one of the things that's promising for us here in the Boston area, New England in general, but uh, specifically in the Boston area is that um, with our, our mayor and, and political folks, they, they have expressed interest uh, in seeing uh, a, a soccer stadium in downtown Boston. So we continue to wait as fans with bated breath to see if anything materializes on this. Uh, but for now, the team is, is continuing to play at Gillette. Um, obviously, right now, without fans, uh, given the pandemic uh, and everything going on with our local regulations here in Massachusetts, it looks like we will be playing without fans in Gillette at least through September. Um, so right now, I think uh, the talk about a new stadium has really dwindled down, surprisingly, um, as of late, um, but still continues to be a top of mind subject for all the fans out there. Well, we're rooting for you to get that, uh, get get it sorted and get a new building. And not just because we hate seeing DC United play on the turf at Gillette Stadium, but not not because of that either. <laughs> yeah, I think um, it's interesting, especially on the podcast, we talk about the turf a lot. Um, you know, it's interesting to us, however, that a lot of the larger markets within MLS also play on turf. Um, and uh, it's one of those things where, yeah, it's less than ideal as a soccer fan um, who who loves the, the international game. Uh, I don't like seeing them play on turf either. That's just my personal opinion. 
Um, and we all hope to see, you know, uh, what we can get in that new stadium when it comes along. So back on the field, put yourself across from Bruce Arena coming up to Tuesday's game. How would you, Alex Almeida, game plan against the New England Revolution? What would you be trying to take away from them? What would you be trying to uh, exploit? Interesting. Um, I always, <laughs> I always love asking those questions of people we have as guests on our show, and and it's interesting enough. Now I realize how awful of me it is to put that person in that position. <laughs> uh, We've been asking um, it for so long now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it, it really is a good question. Um, look, I think um, there are some things uh, on the Revs, uh, you know, offense where you know we just haven't been able to put that final ball in. And one of the things, for example, in the lead up to this game coming up that Teal Bunbury himself uh, talked about is the fact that, you know, we just need that one goal to go in. We just need that one goal to go in and the rest will just follow. Right. Um, I think there's um, something there where the revs are still trying to gain a stride, gain a rhythm, uh, in the midfield. And I think a team that, that looks to try and disrupt that as much as possible and forces the revs to um, change between many tactics or attacking approaches in a game uh, may get to a point where could either see this end in a 0-0 tie um, or potentially an, on the bad side for the revs. Now, with that said, um, our back line has been doing okay. Um, you know, guys like Delamea, uh, Bootner, uh, Brandon By, Andrew Farrell, of course, is is clearly uh, a maniac out there. He's awesome. Um, so defensively, things are pretty well shored up. I think um, where other teams can get into the head of, of the Revs team as a whole is really around that uh, control of the midfield and really kind of making the Revs really try and, and – be dynamic with how they approach the attack. I think one of the things is there's certain things they try to do. And then what they'll, they'll do is they'll keep trying that one thing. And once teams figure it out, that it kind of falls apart. Um, so that's where I think that um, if I were an opposing uh, coach against the revs, that's where I would, I would look known based on what I, I know of the team. Well, Ben Olson, of course, listens to this podcast, so he's going to take your advice. Well, Bruce Arena listens to ours too, so yeah. (laughs) (laughs) These are the lies we tell ourselves, right? Exactly. Uh, I will say this: I would not want to be across any table from Bruce Arena. To be honest with you, Um, I know he's he's definitely. You never know what kind of responses you're going to get from him, anyway. Being part of the media uh, scrums, but uh, let alone being his tactical opponent. Well, at least luckily, Ben Olson has been around Bruce Arena a lot. So, <laughs> yes, those two for better or for worse. Going all the way back to UVA. Uh, Alex Almeida, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Um, can you let our listeners know where they can find you and, and Six States One Pod online? Absolutely. Check us out. We've got a great uh, podcast going um, Six States One Pod on Twitter. Um, and feel free to check us out at sixstatesonepod.com as well for the website. And you can find me personally 
uh, along with Ray and John um, behind the mic of that uh, podcast. And then you can also look for me on Twitter at Footy Jedi. So uh, definitely reach out and uh, looking forward to, to talking with everybody. Find us, of course, at blackandredunited.com. If you want to support us financially, you can do that at patreon.com slash filibuster. We're also on Twitter at filibusterdcu, at blackandredu for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Download, subscribe, rate, review wherever you get your podcasts. I'm told those ratings and reviews are really important in our stature, but I, I would be more gratified if you just told a friend about the show word of mouth it remains the best advertising as far as i'm concerned for jason and ben and thanking alex almeida one last time i'm adam and we'll talk to you again real soon say goodbye jason tallhair.com <laughs>